going on, everybody? We are coming to you from the All-Star break. We're one day away from games resuming. I got Jake with me. I got Katie Sharp, Queen of Stats, as always. We got some fun stuff to break around, break down, some big picture things here on Sharp Stats. You know we like to see what the numbers say, if they support the eye test, if they uh, show us why, they tell us why we're seeing the things we're seeing. Good to get back into action. Katie, Jake, how are you guys doing? Give the honors, uh, Katie. I, will, I'll, I guess I'll go first here. Uh, the queen of stats, yep. Um, I am, I'm doing really good. This break was good. It was nice. Um, my husband just got back from Bahrain last week and then we headed directly to the mountains, um, to get, to get some nice fresh air, some hiking, everything like that. Um, and it was great. We saw a lot of movies, just, just did some things that, you know, you normally wouldn't be able to do, um, with the daily grind of, uh, of being a Yankee and a, and a baseball fan. So, um, we're pretty excited about, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about to get back into the jump, the swing of things though. Um, so, uh, yeah, overall, uh, it's definitely, it's, it's been a great week. Yeah. Jake's in the middle of a hectic day. I know that Jake, how you doing? I'm about to be, I'm about to be. I think I, I just got a notification that my flight got moved to three fifty four in the morning. So I, I don't even know what to do with that right now. Um, I think we should go with the queen of stats and the jester of stats. Um, okay. I, I think that's where I want to land. And I, I think it's appropriate for the kind of stats I normally bust out in comparison to Katie. But yeah, you know it, Jim. I mean, I'm, I think we're both kind of in this weird scratch, scratching behind your ear like a dog wanting the, wanting the all-star break to kind of come to a close so we can, we can get the ball rolling again. Yeah. Did we lose Katie? Are you still here? Oh, I'm still here. I'm just trying to get you guys uh, on the on the video um, because my screen keeps coming out. Okay. All right. Yeah. Jake, when was your flight originally? Midnight? Supposed to be midnight. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like one of those delays that gets pulled back a little bit, like they bring it back to like 1 a.m. Um, we'll be interested to see. I'm very interested to see. Yeah, it's always unfair when they're like, all right, it's now 3 a.m., then you get there at 2, and they're like, just joking, we made it 1 o'clock, you've missed your flight. Yeah, just show, show up on time, even though we're not. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> Katie, are I you I say missing? you just don't go, I mean, there's, you just don't go to sleep, Jake, at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely <laughs> the do. thing to do. I've done <laughs> it, I've done it. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Katie, have you have you sat on this first half yet? Have you like uh, reveled in like how good it was? Are you what's your mood going forward? Are you so excited about how good the first half was? Are you looking at all the possible downslides that could come? Are you anticipating trades? Are you anticipating Savvy and Batances maybe coming back and stand like where when you think of part two of the season? Are you excited, nervous, worried, and where does like your brain go? I'm actually I'm it's really weird because I'm pretty calm. Um okay. which is kind of bizarre. I think it's because just reflecting on you know and looking back on what the heck we have done this entire season, looking at different lineups from like the first week. Um it's just I'm still like I can't believe it but I'm still so amazed that the Yankees were able to win so many games and be in this position six and a half games up at the break um, in the AL East, the second best record in Major League Baseball, um, given all the adversity that they've had to uh, that they've had to overcome and the players lost and the different lineups and and batting orders and everything. Um, so I think that I'm. It still seems surreal to me, and I think that that that's why I'm not you know, like an angry fan or an anxious or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm pretty calm. I don't know. It, it's weird. It's weird. I haven't been in this situation. I feel like at at an all-star break in a, in a long time. Yeah. Jake, how are you? Cause th we talk every single day, all day. And I still, this is a question that I've never thrown your way. I kind of just created it right there for Katie trying to figure out my own answer. When you think of the second half, Jake, are you nervous, excited, or, or do you go to trades right away? Cause some people go to trades some people go to injuries. Where are you going, Jake? Yeah, I, I think it 
in two weeks, it's a better question, right? Because when you when you hit that trade deadline, and if you you know if if we trade for Jaime Garcia and they're going to throw a couple arms, then it's kind of like, all right, when's Sevy coming back? Um, if we were to get a Stroman, Robbie Ray, whoever it is, um, it, it does kind of change your expectations a little bit. Um, I I think it's going to be interesting to see how the next couple weeks go because I. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different different things going on with this Yankees team. Like Katie said, obviously we kind of had we've ignored the health for a while now because the team's been doing so well. But like we could have a healthy judge going forward, and uh, you know Luke uh, Luke Voigt only missed a little bit, but like Giancarlo Stanton is he going to come back at some point? Um, Sevy and Dylan. I, I don't know. This is uh you saw I did last night on Twitter. I did my does anyone want to talk Yanks? And the one thing I, I think I did stumble into is if this team gets really hot, um, whether it's coming out of the all-star break or just the month of August or something, I think this Yankees team does have a little motivation from last year's Boston team. And that's that sounds a little sports talky, but I think it's just honest. If they were to get hot quick and real hot, I think I'm not saying that 108 number the Red Sox put up last year comes into play, but I think guys would talk about it a little bit. So I that's that's what I'm obviously hopeful to see is that the Yankees get hot and uh, a couple of the media people start mentioning 108 and the guys give corny answers with a wink on the end. But uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at. All right. I am two weeks away from being nervous. They're like, once okay. July ends, not two weeks, I said that wrong, maybe like a month. Mid-August, if it's like, all right, we're going to be in the playoffs, I just can't think of anything like, um, I can't imagine, like, if we lose, holy shit, this is all for nothing, this is all for nothing. That's where I get. And where the wild card is terrible, hopefully we're not looking at that. We are getting. We are going to talk a little later on about the strength of schedule and the upcoming weeks, and I think that'll be a I think in three weeks, we will be like pigs in shit as Yankee fans, or we will be really worried this current stretch. But that is not our first topic. Let's talk about the reason why we're happy so far. And there's a couple things, Katie, and one of the things that's led us to this record is the amount of double plays this team has turned this year. Now, it started, this double play talk started real early on because Urshela turned as many double plays in like 10 games as Andujar turned in 151. And that's when it started. In London, Didi and Glaber were the double play machine. They got us out of like three jams. The double play is awesome. Our infield defense overall seems to be improved. But you have some stats and numbers to really speak to the amount of double plays returning this year and how helpful it's been. Yeah, and um, I think that the reason I got interested in this in this topic was exactly what you were talking about. Um, you can visually see it, and it's just it's amazing just to see the efficiency with which they're turning double plays and they're getting double plays. Um, and uh, and obviously, you know, the, I'm going to go into some of the reasons a little bit later. But first, I kind of just. You know, I just want to go through some of these stats because, and that is another reason why I wanted to get to dig into this topic was because the change from last year is just so dramatic. It's just, it's real. It's unreal. Um, so like just kind of a basic stat of looking at, you know, the one way, the way that you define sort of a double play opportunity, and this is just a general term for double play opportunity. It's obviously a man on first and less than two outs. And when I say a man on first, there can be a man on second as well or a man on third. But you have to have at least a man on third and um, less than two outs. And so, so very basic. whenever I say, yes, yeah, so whenever I say like double play opportunity, that is what I mean. Just kind of want to get at, get that out there because there is some kind of confusion and there's there's different ways to break it down and I will in a little bit. Um, but uh, so last year, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this year. So this year, they have turned uh, it's their conversion rate using this uh, using this definition is eleven point nine percent. So that's eleven point nine percent of the time that they're in this situation, um, they convert a double play. 
uh, a grounded into double, a, you know, a ground ball double play. Uh, doesn't take into account what happened or, you know, what type of ball it was or, or whatever. Um, but just 11.9%. That's the fifth best rate in the majors this season. Last year, that conversion rate was 7.3%, which was by far the worst rate in Major League Baseball last year. 30 out of 30. Um, 30 out of 30. Yikes. Um, so, yeah, and even just the raw numbers are crazy. I believe last year it were, they had 82 double plays total. This year they're already at 68. Um, so, you know, 30 we're looking out at, of 30 you know, in double plays turned last year. I mean, I know Andujar because he can't really get 82, 82 double plays. I know Andujar couldn't get the ball out of his glove uh, fast, but like Didi and yep. Glaber were still pretty solid. Well, you know, actually, I mean, I'll get into the individual players, but they were not great last year at turning those double plays. I think a lot of it was, I mean, you forget, but Glaber was, um, he was mistake prone last year on defense. Yeah. And it showed, I think, in him him being able to turn the double plays. He was a little bit hesitant sometimes. Didn't always make it to the bag in time for Didi. Um, so, but um, but going back to just kind of putting into perspective the the dramatic change from last year to this year. The another thing I looked up was um, so this year we've got we've had sixteen games where we've turned multiple double plays. Which I think that's kind of where people kind of it get, it gets people's attention when you see more than one in a game, right? That's when you get people's attention. Um, so sixteen games like that this year, they had fifteen last year the entire year. Um, so another just huge dramatic change. Um, and just just another one more number just to put into perspective how bad last year was. So I said that eighty-two total from last year. The fewest by any Yankee team in a full season uh, since the schedule expanded in 1961. So it was, they were basically the worst wow. of any Yankee team um, in turning double plays. Uh, the, the pure, the, you know, the raw number, just the raw number of double plays turned. Um, so, uh, granted, you know, you weren't going from, you were going from the, the lowest of lows and now they didn't just, you know, they didn't really just improve to average. They've actually improved to well above average, um, you know, fifth best in the majors at that conversion rate. Uh, so I think that that is another thing that really speaks to the improvement um, of the defense. Do you uh, have the, the list in front of you at all? I always like knowing what team's the worst just so I can feel better than them because we were uh, the worst last year. I didn't. Sorry. Oh, last year? Yeah, I can look at last year. I've got that up. I don't I just didn't have the Yankees like all time list up. Um so we were my screen. We were just ahead of um so at like seven percent. We were just ahead of the Pirates and the Dodgers, uh and the White Sox. Interesting. That's a weird mix. Uh, ahead, I guess, behind is the, it's probably the better word to say there. So is there any yeah. correlation between, like, if you look at the list today, the Yankees are top five. Is there, is double play have a, double plays turned or percentage turned have a strong correlation with standings in any way? It doesn't really. Um, but I think what it does, it, it speaks more to, to defense. Mm -hmm. Um, because like the Cubs have the best, we know that they have a very good defense, yeah, especially infield defense. I mean, it, yeah. So like this is basically just more of a reflection of infield defense. Yep. Um, the Cardinals have a good infield defense, um, so they're they're up at the top. Yeah, I mean, uh, and it's not going to hurt. Like last year, the Yankees won 100 games with the worst double play percentage in the MLB. Yeah. Now they have. Yeah. Now they have a better one, so. They can only go up. They can only improve. Right. And I, but I think what, what, you know, I'm going to get into this in a little bit. I guess maybe I'll just talk about this right now. We can go back into, go backwards uh, a little bit later and talk about why I think it's improved. But, um, well, well, actually, let's, let's do that first because, um, I kind of want to, I wanted to look at, you know, looking at overall plate appearances, you know, the overall situations, turning those double plays, um, you know, that can be kind of deceiving. So what's the real reason? Like, 
are they just getting more ground balls? Are they, um, you know, are they better at, are they just physically better at converting these ground balls? Um, So what I did is I kind of looked at, you know, given all of these plate appearances, these opportunities, how many ground balls did the Yankees actually generate uh, during those plate appearances? Um, And, you know, then I wanted to compare it to last year. And actually, the, the numbers were, were pretty interesting because it was basically the same amount as last year. So 31% this year was actually below average. It was 20th. And then uh, tw- 30% of plate appearances last year um, had a ground ball, which was about 20, 25th or something like that last year. So that was really interesting to me. They actually haven't been getting more ground balls in these situations. But literally, the real reason is that they have been just converting them more often at a better clip. They've just been a lot better. I mean, they have better fielders, and that shouldn't really surprise you, but that's what the numbers bear out. Um, And one way I looked at this was I just looked at simple batting average on on uh, on ground balls, uh, in these situations that I talked about, the runner on first and less than two outs. So the batting average allowed on ground balls in those situations for the Yankees this year is 211, and that's fourth best in the league. Last year, it was 298, which is fifth worst. So this is just a batting average. It doesn't say anything really about double plays, but it just goes to speak to, you know, overall in these situations. Um, the Yankees are tremendous, so much better, um, at converting them into outs. And then I kind of would just really curious about, well, how does that compare to like the Yankees overall ability to convert ground balls into outs? Uh, you know, just any situation player, you know, runners on base. And this was the, probably the most shocking thing. The numbers are basically the same this year to last year. So their ground ball batting average on ground balls this year is 257, which is actually pretty bad, uh, fifth worst in the majors. Last year it was 260, which was also fifth worst. So there is something about these situations that the Yankees are doing a really good job of whether it's getting their fielders in the right position, whether it's anticipating the, the ground balls, whether it's just it was like simple practice that they've you know practiced uh, turning these double plays and being in these situations and and fielding the the ground balls, um, but they are significantly better in these situations, these double play situations, um, at gobbling up those ground balls and converting them to outs. And it's not just a matter of getting more ground balls or anything. Yeah, I mean, the the things that I think are going through every Yankee fan's head right now, obviously, are Shella Andujar. Um, that, feels like, <laughs> that feels like right there you go from 30th to about 15th in the league, so we're back to middle of the pack. Uh, we mentioned Glaber before, and it's true. We forgot he was 21 last year, and not to do the corny thing, but think about what you were doing when you were 21. Glaber Torres is on the Yankees baseball field. <laughs> Um, and he was playing a little more shortstop this year, which we talked about. I mean, that was his position coming up. Last year he was playing second, which maybe we'll see more of that now. Um, it'll be interesting to see. The DJ LeMahieu factor, um, put that guy anywhere, that's going to bring you <laughs> uh, closer to the top of the leaderboard. And I think we talked about it a couple episodes ago, Katie, but weren't the Yankees number one or top three in baseball at uh, ground balls hit at their position fielders within a 3% degree or something like that. Yeah, the shifting. So it feels, it feels like when you put all that in a blender, it adds up to that, you know, seventh in the league that we're looking at, right? Yeah, and it's pretty crazy because yeah. there had to be some organizational shift, and I don't know if it was spring training because we didn't really hear about it much. I don't know if it's just natural because infield defense was a huge concern. All offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and granted, Urshel over Andujar's change is one of those concerns, but Voight was a big concern. A lot of people were concerned with Glaber. I never really was, but there was a lot of people con- concerned with Glaber and Didi being out. It was supposed to be Tulowitzki. What was DJ going to do? Nothing's really been that bad. I think, I don't even, I, I don't know, I don't learn how to talk, Jimmy. Voight 
hasn't been a drain at first. Like he hasn't been terrible. Exactly. I don't think he's been outstanding. He has had some plays that are pretty nice, but I don't think he's really held us back. And then no one else has. Everyone else has kind of been really good. It's weird that one of our biggest concerns became a strength. Yeah, I think that there had to have been something going on in spring training because, um, and I'll I'm, I want to go into some of the individual improvements that that the different players have made, even the the holdovers like Labor and Didi, um, because those numbers are astounding in how they have simply improved, um, and obviously getting it, getting you know DJ and Urshela into the lineup instead of Anduhar um, is an obvious improvement, but. Um, just those numbers that I that I cited before, the fact that they are so much better in double play situations at converting the ground balls into outs than they are just overall. I think that that, that there there had to have been something with the positioning. We mentioned that before on earlier episodes, um, and just just practice. Um, so yeah, so getting into the individuals. Um, uh, I looked at sort of. I looked at you know. There's a stat that on um, one of the one of the companies called uh, Sports Info Solutions. What they do is they actually break down individual performance at converting double plays as either a second baseman or a shortstop. And so their data is is really good. And what they do is they basically just look at you know the opportunities. Not overall plate appearances, but when a ground ball is actually hit to the player, and are they able to to convert the convert the um, the double play? So Glaber this year at shortstop, seventy one percent of the time that he had a chance to convert a double play um, at shortstop, he did it, which is a, an extremely good rate. Last year, Didi's rate at shortstop was fifty seven percent. So there's one upgrade. Um, and then just looking at Didi, last year I said his 57% rate. This year at shortstop, his rate is 70%. It's well 69.6%. So even Didi at shortstop has been converting uh, these double play converter um, opportunities at a higher clip. And Glaber, I compared his uh, second base numbers from last year to this year. A huge improvement there as well. Last year, 53% of the time he was able to convert it. This year, 61%. So you're seeing, you know, these players that are holdovers doing a better job at converting the double plays at both positions, um, which I think, you know, that's that I think has to be some sort of teaching in, in spring training or practice or, or being, you know, just you know, more familiar with the position, obviously, with Glaber um, having a second season at the major league level. Um, so that was uh, that was the first big takeaway. Take the second thing, obviously, is the you know the swapping out of Andujar and you know putting in either and putting in either uh, Urshela or DJ at third base. And uh, Andujar, these this is <laughs> this is so. I'm fun. so I mean, scared most, for this number, Katie. I, okay. Hold on. Make sure that you have are firmly sitting down because yeah. If you're driving, put on your flashers right now. Pull over. Are you about to tell us Andujar's double play percentage rate? Yeah. Oh God. Um. So last year he converted six of twenty-five opportunities. That's twenty-four percent. Uh, and then this year Urshela has converted. 13 of 17, which is uh, a nice round number of 77%. Um, and Do you know what's uh, DJ average? Has, I believe, I didn't actually get the average. Um, I think it's about 50 or 60. I think it's about 60-ish, 50, 55. Um, I feel bad to I like rip on Andujar while he's hurt and not playing because maybe he came out this season and improved and, you know, then this conversation could have stopped, but because he got hurt, the conversation continues forever until he comes back and plays. That number is... And when you just close your eyes and picture him fielding a ball and throwing it to second, it's so... It's not... It's not a double play throw. It's it's not... It doesn't look comfortable at all for him. I mean, I was trying to remember some of the... You know, what he looked like at third base last year, and it was... He just he wasn't comfortable at all. 
Um, and it was the throws and it's also the range we talked about. You know, we've talked about that also um, on the on this show. Um, but those numbers are astounding. Uh, and um, I actually think that it's important. I mean, you know, there's different ways to break it down. And why is turning, you know, we talked about, you know, how the, you know, not necessarily the best teams are going to be at the top of these leaderboards in terms of converting double plays. Um, and last year, obviously, the Yankees won 100 games being horrible. But if you look at, you know, what you can do is you can kind of look at uh, how many runs do you expect to to score in an inning, you know, based on how where the players are on the bases and, and different, you know, different number of outs in the inning. Um, and that's where it really becomes, it really becomes important. Because um, if you look at, so I, I just, one thing I looked at was, if there's no outs and uh, a man on first, so this is a typical double play situation, right? Um, the expected number of runs to be scored in that inning is almost one run. It's .86 runs. So almost a full run you're expect- the other team is expected to score in that situation. If you get it, if you convert the double play and now it's bases loaded and two, I mean, it's, excuse me, sorry, it's bases empty and two outs, so you you got rid of both guys. It's less than less than one tenth of a run is then expected to score. So the ability to 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 convert that double play is enormous, um, and especially even if you only get one out, you know you say let's say you convert you know you only get one out and you've got a man at second or or actually maybe a man at first and now there's uh there's one out. They're still, you know, they're still expected to score half a run in that inning. Uh, I, in that situation, with a man on second and you know a man on first and and one out. Yeah, and I think what so, analytics can't uh, put into numbers is just the momentum shift. I mean, a a, a big mm-hmm. double play is almost like a dunk in basketball. It's you can get the crowd juiced up. You can get the pitcher all the, like Paxton versus the Mets. Didn't pitch that well, but they turned, I think, three double plays behind him. At least two, maybe not three. That would be crazy. But And it's just a momentum boost. It's like, holy shit, wow, maybe I should just let him put it in play. My defense got my back, as opposed to errors are the opposite, or just like not getting the easy double plays the opposite. And there, you can't really, you know, it's definitely a, a boost of morale every time you turn a double play. Yeah, I mean, if you, I think it is, especially with with one out, you know, if the, you know, at that point, the pitcher is thinking, man, I still got to get, you know, I'm going to have to go through like probably two or three more batters or inning ending or double play to get out of this inning. Yeah. I'm telling you, it and doesn't, tran- gets- it doesn't translate the TV inning ending double plays when you're at the ballpark are so exciting on TV. They're kind of just like, all right, cool. Yeah. But um, I think being able for that pitcher to say, oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. You know, this is the end of the inning. One pitch and I'm out of here and we're walking to the, towards the dugout. Yeah. That, I think, is, uh, you know, like you said, it's just stuff that really the, the numbers, the stats, the analytics can't capture. But at, at the same time, you know, it does because you can look at, you know, how many runs are expected to score based on different different, you know, positions and, and base out states and. Um, the percentage of time that a team actually scores at least one run you can look at. The numbers are the same. Um, so I think that – I think it's underrated. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, the Yankees won 100 games and they sucked last year, so who cares about turning double plays? Uh, there are real tangible benefits and intangible benefits to uh, to being good at this, at this skill. Yeah, if anyone wants to tell me that turning more double plays doesn't help the team – I don't know. I'll just, it's just politely it's walk away. Katie, I think yeah. we cut you off from DJ's numbers at third, which I still want to hear those. But the other thing, I mean, we mentioned the momentum, which you can't really mention with a, a good inning, ending double play or whatever it is. But I just think of the butterfly effect that also happens after that, whether it is they have to throw five more pitches to get through the next batter or the next batter gets on base and it's 10 more pitches. Have you just lost an inning from your starter? Does that mean instead of going to Tommy Canely in your bullpen, you're going to Jonathan Holder in your bullpen? And think about that on a day-to-day level. Think about that on a, a series level. Think about that on a couple weeks level. 
I mean, that stuff adds up big time. So I, I think there's some of that stuff can probably be measured, but it's probably, it'd be some Jake turkey math to figure it out. So we won't go there. But um, do you have DJ's numbers, Kate's? Yeah, so DJ hasn't had that many opportunities. He's at uh, he's at third base. He's converted uh, about four of ten, so about forty percent, um, which I think it's it's still it's not a not a ton. But at, at second base, he's been excellent, converting sixty five percent of his opportunities. Which, when you compare it to what Glaber did at second base, he was the main second baseman last year. Um, Glaber was at 53% last year at second base. So there's another huge upgrade um, at that position. Um, and overall, if you look at third base, com- I combined Urshela and DJ's numbers. It's about a 63% conversion rate. And so, you know, putting that into perspective with Anduhar's 24% rate again, that's where you see what's happening. Um, and, and the third base double plays, those are good ones because those are ones that potentially if a ball gets past a third baseman, that's going for extra bases. Um, you know what I mean? And, and we've seen Urshela make those tremendous plays down the line and his, his arm, his arm is just awesome. Um, in being able to, uh, to make that throw. Before we move on from double plays into our next topic, I have my trivia for you, Jake. No. Are you ready? I don't Let's know if see. this is easy. I don't even have it in front of me yet. Who on the Yankees has grounded into the most double plays? So I briefly looked at these numbers, and I have an educated guess. Wow, you're a cheater. Well, yes, because I when we were doing our our call them our pre-show meetings, I I threw Katie through a loop because. I saw that uh, young Gary Sanchez through all his whole season last year, he grounded through eight, 10 double plays, and this year it's only been one, and he's like 10 games short. I want to say the number that jumped out to me, and I'm not sure if it's the leader, but I remember seeing Gio Urshela had a high amount of double play balls. He is in second place. I thought you would get the leader because you are aghast every time you see him digging, digging through the, the dirt. Oh, I mean, King Louis V looks like he's running in quicksand. <laughs> yeah, he's got nine. Uh, Gio's got eight. And DJ LeMahieu has six. Why isn't DJ fast? It's, it makes sense to me. It's everything else. He's, Ta- he's tall. He's got six. Yeah, he's tall. Yeah, six four. He's not quick. He's fast, not Maybe quick. He's quick. He's like a gazelle, a yes. giraffe. All right. Our next topic is just AL East dominance. We are six games up right now. The schedule favors us if we play well in the next two weeks. We talked about that a little last episode. Katie, how much does it mean to be leading the AL East by this much at the, at the break? I think that this is, this is, I mean, what the Yankees are doing so far is, 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 actually historic um their 29 and 9 record uh that's a 763 winning percentage and basically no team has dominated the AL East um to that extent uh in the modern era of uh, of division so what I did is I looked back first I looked back going back to um 1995 or 1994 which is you know basically when divisions these three divisions were created um, and the best record, uh, interdivision record, best record against AL East opponents in that team by any team was the 1990-1998 Yankees. Uh, they were 33-15, and 15, so that's a 6-8-8 winning percentage. So the Yankees are ahead of that pace. Um, and then, as we know, the, the schedules have become more unbalanced, or, yeah, unbalanced um, recently. So in 2002... They switch to the uh, the unbalanced schedules, which you play more te- more games against uh, your division opponents, and so the best record uh, since that date is was by last year's Red Sox team, which went fifty two and twenty four, which is a six eight four winning percentage. So the Yankees are ahead of both of those paces right now, um, which is which is pretty remarkable. And I'm not, I'm not saying that they're gonna finish. Um, at this same clip, although it would be awesome. Um, but to be able to dominate your division 
with this unbalanced schedule where you're playing, you know, essentially almost half of your games against your own division opponents, um, that is tremendous. Because last year, like I said, like the Red Sox, they were 52 and 24. That's, you know, very good against AL East teams. The Yankees, we know, finished in second place, eight games off the pace. They were 44 and 32. So if you do the math right there, yeah. If you do the math, that's an eight-game difference, which is exactly what the 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 Red Sox won their division by. Um, so this is, I mean, this is, and then when you look at what the Red Sox, the Yankees are doing just against, you know, the the teams they're chasing, six and one against the Red Sox so far, nine and four against the Rays. Those are the teams you want to dominate, right? Yep. Um, and the Rays and Red Sox both have really mediocre division records. The Rays are 19 and 17 against the AL East, and the Red Sox are 19 and 19. Uh, and that's just another leg up for the Yankees. Uh, so this is all a very good thing. Um, one one more thing I did just as a sanity test was to look at. You know, how often does a team with the best divisional record go on to win the division? Because that's essentially what the Yankees want to do this year. They have pretty much one goal, um, aside from the World Series, is to win the division so they don't have to worry about the wild card and play that extra game and, and whatnot and get home field and try and get as Fuck the the best wild card game. advantage as they can. Exactly. Um, and what I did is I looked at it since 2002 because I felt like you know, when the schedule expanded, I felt that was a better representation than going back further when they only played, you know, what, 48 games against the AL East. Now they're playing 78. And um, so since 2002, that's, what, 17 seasons we have, including last year. Only five times did a team have the best record and not win the division, which is pretty good. I mean, so two thir- basically more than two-thirds of the time, if you have the best record within your division, you're going to win the division. Um, so I thought that that was, uh, that was pretty informative of why it is so important to play, uh, to play good against your division opponents, especially um, with the way that the schedule works out nowadays. Yeah. Good to be good. Um, <laughs> and like we were talking about the schedule coming up, so I looked at that, and, and you guys were spot on in what you said in that voicemail episode. Uh, these next three weeks, basically from now until August 4th, there's seven series. And three of those series, three of those seven, are against the Rays and the Red Sox. I'm excited. So we've got... But I feel I I'm know, nervous about how excited I am. Just a, just a washing machine spinning of emotions about this. It was crazy because we have twelve of twelve of those games are against of those Red Sox and Ray or the Red Sox and Rays, and then after August first, we only play six games against those two teams. So basically, the final like two months of the season, essentially, there's six games against the Red Sox and the Rays. The, the uh, best part about so our this, schedule, like you said, is that we only have two more games left in the trop. How nice is that? Jake, did you know that? Did not know that. Only two more games left in the trot. And they come, hopefully, when things do not matter. September 24th and 25th. Well, that's that's yeah. nice to not get there. It uh, It is going to be an odd August. Um, I had looked at the schedule in the next couple weeks of July, but August is a... Uh, it's a real mismatch that's going to be accented by a big West Coast trip at the end. It looks like, um, and I'm, I'm getting way too too far ahead of myself, but yeah, we, we come out of the All-Star break, Blue Jays, Rays, Rockies, all at home. Um, big big homestand. Uh, what's that, 10-game homestand? Um, and then we go on the road against your twins, Jimmy, and then four at the Sox, and I feel like, yeah, not even three weeks. I feel like... After we get back on that road trip from from Minnesota and Boston, we're uh, 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, we it's it's everything we we opened up with, and we didn't even realize to connect the dots. We're we're playing four at home versus Tampa, two three game sets with Toronto and Colorado, then the road trip against Minnesota and Boston. Then we're going to be at the trade deadline, having gone through that stretch, and I think we're going to have a lot stronger opinions <laughs> in in about fourteen days. Jake, I have a I have a, a trivia question for you, and then a worry. What? How come you never give Katie the trivia question? Because she knows she, a, she, know, right. she knows everything. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what two teams do the Yankees not have a winning record? There's actually three. One they're tied with. Oh, I know this one. See? Two teams the Yankees don't have a winning record against? Yeah. Um the Tigers? No. That was that was my long shot. Um No, not you're the right. Blue no, Jays, you're right. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. There's way more than two teams. I'm just so wrong about everything I'm doing right now. Okay, well, shut your butt then. I don't know what what was what did you think the answer to your question was? Arizona's one of them. Zero oh and two. We didn't right. zero oh and two. Now I'm looking at the point of the part of the schedule you just brought up, Jake. Right, because we opened up Tigers White Sox and we get our butts handed to us. Four at Fenway, then two at home versus Arizona Tuesday Wednesday set. Then four against the Red Sox at home. We may go on four versus Arizona. I can see those two Arizona games being complete rest days. Like I can see them punting both those Tuesday, Wednesday Arizona games that are sandwiched in between two four game sets from Boston. So you're going Arizona's hanging the the four zero against the Yankees banner this year. Yeah, I think. I, I like that. I like that on the, the Diamondbacks message boards. They go, well, the Yankees won the title. We went 4-0 against them. I'm okay with that. I'm just saying, those two Arizona games in between Minnesota and then Boston and Boston again may be full-on punt games. In their off day before, though, that's that's my only caveat. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, there's a, the 29th is an off day before. So there is two. Yeah, but that that's double rest day. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Love those. All right. Anything more on the AL East and how how important it is and how good it is that we're ahead? Um, no. I think that uh, I think we've seen the stats. We've seen we know the numbers, um, and you know I think we know how important it is to to winning this division, which is the first goal that the Yankees had this season, but not the last, obviously. Yeah. So we 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 have the next thing up is kind of the depth this team has. You used a term in your email to us that I really liked, and you said we don't have any black holes on offense. Which, when we were whole, when Voight was here and Stan was here for those five days, and Edwin was here and we were excited about it, it was apparent that they could put any lineup out, and I was like, hell yeah, cool, run it again. With Voight coming back, we're getting back there. I don't know what Stan's looking at. But we don't have a glaring weakness. Now, I mean, some people will, would want to say Guardy, but he's been playing amazing for the last month. Hicks has been turning it up for the last couple weeks. And then haters would say Edwin now, but he's a pro bat who I think will come out of a slump. But we don't have... Um, trying to think of past players. Like Chase Headley was never like... you could If, if you could have replaced him, you would have. Offensively. Tyler Wade. Kendrys Morales, those were recent black holes when they were in the lineup. So, so Katie, what do you got for us in this and the, the depth that we have offensively and defensively? Yeah, actually, you know, I was just kind of looking at at offense here because um, I kind of I just wanted to focus on that. Um, but it's it's pretty amazing. Um, and this was just I was just kind of sorting through the Yankee stats and just clicking on a bunch of clicking on a bunch of leaderboards and stuff. And I looked at the top 10 players for the Yankees in terms of plate appearances. So I wanted to focus on guys that are getting enough playing time to impact the team, whether it's good or bad. Um, and all of those 10 players have an adjusted OPS of over 100. So when I say adjusted OPS, that's a stat. You guys can find that on baseball reference. What it does is it basically scales a player's OPS to the league average um, and basically of that season. 
So it's it corrects for like ballparks and different leagues, the AL and the NL. And anything above 100 is going to be better than average. Anything below 100 is going to be worse than average. So like an OPS plus of 110 is a guy that has an OPS that is 10% better than, than league average. So just to, just to put that out there. So the top 10 players for the Yankees in plate appearances um, – and that's about everybody with at least 130 plate appearances this season all have an above-average OPS. The worst is actually Aaron Hicks with an OPS plus of 103 or 104, one of those, I forget which it is. Um, so, and I was like, wow, that that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. And I looked at, you know, kind of comparing that to other teams. And I looked at, you know, I wanted to set the minimum at 130 plate appearances to make sure that we got, you know, a big enough sample for a guy to have an impact on the team. And it ended up that that is basically a cutoff for most of the team's top 10 plate appearances. Uh, players with uh, the most plate appearances. Um, there was about 300, 330 total players with at least 130 plate appearances this season. Um, and the Yankees' 10 players like that is actually the second most in the league. Uh, the Twins are the most. They have 11. So the Twins' depth, I think, is something that's really understated, and we'll get to them in in a little bit as well and a couple other things I was saying. Um, so that is one measure of the way that I wanted to look at depth is how many players do the Yankees have that are getting a good amount of playing time and are performing at an average or above average rate. So the Yankees are right up there with the twins. Then the other thing that I wanted to look at and you, which you alluded to, uh, earlier is, you know, another part of depth is just not having players that suck. (laughs) That's, I mean, it's it that's a good not having players that suck can kind of be more valuable than having a bunch of average or above average players, right? Because those players that are essentially black holes that you're giving that a you're given a good amount of playing time to, and that b are pl- performing worse than average, and not just slightly worse, but far worse than average. Uh, because those can be rally killers. It's that one, you know that spot in the lineup where you're just not able to ever get that that big hit. Um, it's just that those can actually, I think can be worse. Um, and, and those are types of things. Those are the players you want to avoid putting into your lineup the most, you know, often on a day to day basis. Like, um, so I, Jackie Bradley jr. Yeah. Ex- hey, Hey, I will, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, but, uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, um, so I, what I did is I looked at the number of players on the team where they're getting 130 plate appearances. So this is a significant player for the team getting significant playing time and has an OPS plus of below 85. So 15% worse than league average. So I kind of wanted to make it a good enough like suckiness so that it's not just like slightly below like a 99 OPS plus or like a 90 OPS plus because those guys are those guys aren't that bad, you know. But 85 I thought was good. And what I found was that the Yankees are the only team in the majors right now that have zero players that fit that criteria of 130 plate appearances and an OPS plus of below 85. So the Yankees them we don't have any players that are essentially what what I call, what you can call, black holes. And the um, odd thing is, it seemed like we were going to have a good amount with um, <laughs> Cameron Mabin getting a lot of time. Talkman getting, getting time. It was like, wow, we're going to have Gardner, some, you thought. Yeah. Even Gardner, you were worried about um, being in that situation. And um, so, yeah, so like some other black holes. Like you said, the Red Sox. Um, actually, Jackie Bradley Jr. just made the cut, so he is not one. But Eduardo Nunez, he's a black hole for the Red Sox. Um, like a guy on the on the Astros, Tyler White, who's their DH, he's a black hole. Um, for the Dodgers, it's a guy like Austin Barnes or or um, Enrique Hernandez. He's a black hole. Uh, so. 
So the fact that the Yankees don't have any of these players that absolutely, you know, are getting a lot of play time and suck, uh, that is another really, really good sign of, of the depth that they've acquired and, and established this season. Yeah, and I mean, I, I have an extreme example, Katie. I mean, uh, when you talk about Black Holes A, I, I mean, picture the National League for a second. Picture how their game changes when the pitcher's coming up to the plate. Um, I, I know that's that's even further than just a black hole hitter, but uh, you can use some of the same things. You could pitch around the batter in front of them, or you could try to make pitchers pitches the whole time, and it, it that has its own ripple effect. And I, I think it's funny, you know, we, we just started to getting into the names about it, and, I mean, Cameron Mabin was insane. He's technically been fourth on the Yankees this year in OPS+. Plus. Uh, that's uh, literal insanity. Uh, Gio Urshela, he made the list on our top ten uh, with an OPS plus of 117, and it, it's funny how expectations versus reality factor into that. We, we're we're going to have some Yankees grades come out to you guys, maybe while you're listening to this. It should be out tomorrow morning, or maybe you already saw it and now you're listening, and hey, thanks. Um, but Katie, some of the names we're not mentioning right now because of either eligibility or where they're at, Giancarlo Stanton, he only has 38 at-bats plate appearances this year. Uh, Didi Gregorius, he only has 94 plate appearances this year. So, I mean, right there, we have a couple of guys. And, oh, by the way, Clint Frazier's on this list, and we've got him in AAA just in case we need to call him up. So it's it's pretty insane to think about, A, a couple of the guys who have snuck on this list with our other guys, but B, a couple of guys who aren't on this list who you'd consider some of the best players on the team. Yeah, I mean, that's the fact that their depth could be even better. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, that, to me, this is probably one of the most important things as we go down the season because we know, you know, team the dog days of August when we and we know how much Aaron Boone loves to rest his players. The fact that he is able to and still keep up the same production day in and day out, uh, I think that that has to be one of the more incredible things for this team and just any team kind of in general. Um, just looking back at recent seasons, I'd, I'm not really sure we've seen another type of team like this, this Yankees team, where they're able to run out so many above-average average players and have no significant drains um, in the lineup as well. Uh, and th- that lineup thing is kind of one of the more, you know, kind of one of the most astounding things. And th- there was just this stat that I looked up. We all know that they've had 87 different batting orders in 88 games, which is just, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, but batting orders, you know, those can be kind of fickle sometimes. Players, managers like to move pl- players around, um, become, you know, trying to get them comfortable in different spaces, um, you know, and also with, lefties righties things like that um but another thing i looked up is you can also look at basically just different defensive lineups that a team uses so who's playing third who's playing second who's playing first that types of things and those are actually normally more stable you know you don't often see a manager switch up his defensive lineup that often during a season if you if you you know if you think about if you do have some sort of established lineup, which obviously the Yankees have not had due to injuries or, or whatnot. But um, so this, this, this stat just really, really astounded me and kind of just took me back. And I hope it's right. Um, I did this just manually looking at a grid, but only twice this season have they used the same defensive lineup on back-to-back days. So this is back-to-back days, not games. Um, but back-to-back days, and that was April 24th and 25th and April 16th and April 17th. So think about that. Twice in April. And if you wanted to look at some of those players' names, this was, so the April 15th, the 16th and 17th, um, yeah, that was fun times when we had Romine, behind the plate because this was when Gary was uh he was hurt for that I think it was a couple weeks he was out mm-hmm. Romine behind the plate we had Void at first 
We had LeMayu at second, Urshela at third, Torres at short. We had Talkman in left for two games in a row, Gardner. Uh, this was when Judge was back, and then Frazier at DH. Uh, so, um, yeah, so those were those were the good old days. And since then, um, it, it hasn't happened. There was once in, I think, in June or something where it was back-to-back games, but the games were like three days apart because of a rain delay or something, rain uh, postponements. So I didn't really think that that was, you know, you know, an apples to apples comparison. But um, we know how much uh, Aaron Boone loves to rest his players. And so far, because of this depth that he has, it's worked. It's also just crazy how different baseball is. Like the ability that Glaber's just been going back and forth. DJ LeMay, who's been going back and forth. I mean, DJ's really the key to all of this. You started at three different positions, and you have Gardner going back and forth from center field and back, and and then all the call-ups. But really, Ben Zobrist changed the game, and that's like what everyone wants now is versatility. It's so different from 2009. Just, I think you're underselling how consi- I think what Katie's saying is how consistent we relied on Troy Tulowitzki and Austin Roma. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, have you guys looked at the opening day lineup recently? Bird and Tulo, right? And uh, and four play. Yep, there are three players in that lineup that are n- probably never going to play a game for us this season. Another one, and then in a fifth that Stanton, who who knows when the next time he's going to play. So Right, well, he was go- Stan's going to miss the first series, and then he'll be back for the second series, so we'll play him then. <laughs> Andujar, yeah. Andujar, Bird, Tulo, Stanton, you said there was another one? Did Talkman start? No, we didn't start opening day. No, I said that there was three, so three, Tulo, okay. Bird, and, and Andujar are probably never, yeah, sorry, I meant that. Um, are probably never going to play another game for us this season, at least. Ellsbury, um, Tulo, and Bird ever. are in the same like situation too, where they're just, they're just no updates, no one, yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing's it's not going. Worth it. Crazy, but yeah, Bird started at first base ten of the first fourteen games. Do you even remember what Bird looks like? <laughs> like I, I mean, I was joking, but just um, as Adam's apple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He homered, and get, he homered on opening day. That's right, yeah. 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 All right, I think... Wow, fun times. I think we have the stat of the week, and then we can uh, close up shop and get ready for the second half. I'm going to do a little drum roll here. Where is it? Katie Sharpest stat. Are you ready? Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That was great. Okay. <laughs> great intro. It is the sharpest stat. Um, so once again, I have a sharp stat for DJ LeMayu. Um, as you can probably tell, I'm acquiring a bit of a little a little bit of a baseball crush on him. Um so this week, uh what I wanted to look at, one of the things that really stood out to me was his batting average. 336 and we know that that's great and we know it's leading the AL right now and you know one of the fun facts out there is that he would be the only player uh, in the modern era since 1900 to lead his league in batting average um, uh, in two different leagues excuse me he won it in the in the NL uh, a couple years ago but one other thing that really that really stood out to me was the number 336 and how big that is nowadays how high that is nowadays because you know I'm obviously I don't really think much about batting average you know I don't really put much stock into it obviously there are better ways to measure how good of a player is but the fact that he is just putting up that number just seemed really absurd to me um and I think it came from I think it was a podcast I was listening to or an article I read is do you think nowadays in this run environment, in this type of where you know the ball is flying out as much, is it harder to hit over 300 or hit 50 homers? Um, and so that's really what kind of drove me to look 
a little bit deeper into what that 336 batting average really means. Um, and one way you can do that is to what Fangraphs has is they have what they call their plus stats or their adjusted stats. It's similar to the OPS plus that I was talking about earlier, but they do that for basically every stat. So they've done that, which they've done that, which is which is great. Um, so that allows you to compare, like DJ LeMahieu's three thirty six batting average to a guy in the nineteen thirties um, when he who had maybe like a three seventy batting average. Put them on the same scale, um, comparing them to the league average in that season. So I thought, you know, he's probably going to be pretty good at this. You know, it seems like it's a pretty high number compared to the rest of the league. Turns out that um, that 336 is 33% better than the league average this year. So it's a 133, I guess you'd call it average plus. So that's what we'll call it. Um, and so I was like, wow, you know, and, and then what I did is I compared that to, I, honestly, obviously, compared that to uh, historically for any other Yankee uh, that qualified for the batting title. And... What I found is that there were only five other Yankees for a single season that had an average plus of 133 or better, so that's 33% better than league average, um, that also qualified for the batting title, so had enough plate appearances. So the guys are Mickey Mantle in 1957. Good. His was 139. Good player. Willie Keeler. Uh, in we 1904, Willie. we Willie we, 1904. Yep, <laughs> hit him where he ain't. Yeah. <laughs> the same guy, 1904. So he was up there. Babe Ruth in 1923, 135. So he's good, I think. Um, Don Mattingly in 1986. His uh, his average was uh, batting average was a 34 percent better than league average. And then Joe DiMaggio in 1939. So. And his was the same as DJ's, 33% better than league average. I'd so say, DJ I say good is for Wee doing Willie. the same thing. Wee Willie, Mickey Mantle, Don Mattingly, Babe Ruth, and Joe DiMaggio. Um, and there's DJ up there with them all um, in terms of uh, his batting average right now uh, relative to the to league average. All right. Enough, so. enough of the queen of stats. Let's get some jester stats going. You got some yes, butter knife stats? Let's see it. Let's go way back in time. Get in your time machine, both of you. We're going way back to the year 2000. 300 used to be the measure of a good hitter. That used to be like, they'd say it on the broadcast. They'd be like, oh, he's hitting 300 this year. That's the bar. In the year 2000, how many hitters hit 300 or better? I'll let both of you guess. 41. So we're talking qualified bit. Are you on the qualified thing? Qualified, yes. Okay. Wow, I didn't know that. So if I'm way off, that's some bullshit from Jake. Sure. (laughs) What was your... What was your guess, John? Are we doing like the Price is Right thing? It's like... um, I said said 41. You can go over or under. Okay. Um, I'm going to guess 35. In the year 2000, 53 hitters hit 300 or better. Wow. Wow. 53. (laughs) I'm pretty happy with my guess. Last year, 2018, how many hitters hit 300 or better? 17. Final answer. 10. 10. 16. <laughs> 16. Um, including Corey Dickerson and Joey Wendell right on 300 on the nose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think, Katie, uh, that's, again, me trying to, to, to simplize some of your great stats to my brain. Um, contact hitting is gone. And and yet we're we're seeing a couple guys thrive, especially our DJ LeMahieu. Well, I mean, Bregman said if he wanted to hit 300, he could hit 300, but he wants to hit. It's all about OPS now, which I do think is true. I don't think yeah. they're trying to hit singles anymore. 
And Bregman might be kind of the perfect example. You and I kind of laughed that he was in the home run derby because you you look at his build next to someone like Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, and and it's different styles for for lack of a better term. Uh, but yeah, I mean Bregman might be a perfect example. If 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 Bregman came up in 1996, he's probably a guy that goes. <laughs> He could, he could probably hit 325 with, you know, 50 doubles and 17 home runs. Nowadays, they'd rather have him hit, you know, 285 with 35 homers if he can do that. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's it's just a sign of the times. And so, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm, batting average is not the best way to evaluate a player. I never, never saw that. But I think that it's just appreciate what DJ is able to do in terms of, you know, this current run environment and what's happening with the ball and everything and the way that players are just, you know, their philosophies and their mentalities. So just really stood out to me as a, as a cool stat. Yep. He's the best ever. Best ever. And be careful getting a crush on him, Katie, because he's a known heart ripper outer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to be careful. Yeah. All right. mine. That ends this episode of Sharp Stats. Thank you guys very much for joining. If you want to give us a five-star rating and review, we'd appreciate it. Always tweet at Katie. Always tweet at Katie. And uh, thank you very much. We will be back with who's our first series against Jake. You said it a bunch, and I forget already. Playing the Blue Jays. We will be we're back. seeing them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we're going there tomorrow. On the Friday, Jake and I will be at the game, and then we'll be back with our series recap. Go Yanks. Tell them, Grams. Go Yankees. All right.